Hello and a warm welcome back to our journey through Mark's Gospel and tonight we come to a series of incidents in which Jesus faces extraordinary strong opposition and the tragedy is and it, to us it's not a surprise because we've read it before I'm sure that the tragedy is that this opposition is coming from the home team the Pharisees and we always need to remember as we read episodes where the Pharisees oppose Jesus that these people didn't get out of bed in the morning to be obnoxious. As far as they were concerned, they were the guardians of God's law. They cared massively for God's reputation. It was dear to their hearts, or so they thought. So how can it be that such a group should end up being the ones who are taking a stand against the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that is what we need to look at tonight. And that is what I am sure we will discover. So let's pick up the story in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Continuing to chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Well, we need to know as we read these stories quite how important the Sabbath was to the Jewish people and the Pharisees in particular. And it's, it's pretty hard to get our heads around this. Basically, the Pharisees had really high regard for the Sabbath. They not only knew it had to be a day of rest, but they had codified what counted as work on the Sabbath and what didn't to ensure that the Sabbath was safeguarded. And when we uh, hear what some of the rules were about what constituted work and what didn't, you know, our mind boggles. So in one or two of the commentaries I was reading, it was telling me that there are 39 different types of work specifically forbidden. And amongst them, reaping, winnowing, threshing, and preparing a meal. And so the disciples in gathering corn 
around the cornfield. They were breaking all four. And significantly, healing was regarded as work on the Sabbath. And there were particular rules which allowed you to do certain things, but not others, when it came to treating people who were ill, for example. So if someone cut their finger, you could bandage that finger, but you couldn't put ointment in the bandage because that would have constituted healing and healing was working on the Sabbath. Yes, it, it really is quite difficult to get our heads around quite what the rules were saying. But I, I find two examples really bring home how important the Sabbath was to Jesus' contemporaries. And, and they're very, very similar examples. Two examples of when the Jews were under pressure and fighting conflicts, physical conflicts, and they decided they would rather give up their lives than fight on the Sabbath. Josephus, the historian, records such an incident in the War of the Maccabees, when apparently the Jews retreated into caves as a, a kind of safe shelter and were being attacked by the Syrians. But when the Syrians attacked them on the Sabbath, they chose not to resist in any way because they thought it was much more important that they observe the Sabbath. Similarly, when the Romans attacked the Jews in the temple in Jerusalem under Pompey, the Roman general, the Romans started to build a huge rampart from which they could overwhelm the Jews in the temple. And they did it, yes, on the Sabbath. And the Jews, knowing not to resist, would invite their own deaths, guarantee it really, they still chose not to resist. Now, when we see this, even if we don't agree with it, uh, we can understand quite what a huge thing it was, what a deal it was, that Jesus and his disciples, A, were caught gathering corn on a Sabbath, and B, should heal someone. So how, how come the Pharisees got into this mess? And what's it got to say to us? Well, I've got a few suggestions. If our walk with God comes to rely on rules and habits and not on relationship with God, then we're bound to run into trouble, even when the rules are basically good. Because the Sabbath rest really was a blessing. It is one of the Ten Commandments. It's a huge blessing to incorporate into our lives a rhythm of rest. But if it becomes a barometer of godliness, which Jesus fails, incidentally, then that's nuts. But secondly, religious habits can come to erode and not enhance our walk with God if we're not careful, if we're not prayerful. Personally, I, I rather doubt that the observance of the Sabbath is something that will trip us up very much. But what about habits like saying grace before meals? Uh, has it ever happened to you that you've whipped through a grace just before a meal out of rote? Or someone else has said grace at the table and you've really not been with it at all. It's just passed you by. It, it's just become routine. What about when or if you raise your hand, hands habitually in worship, which I do? I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's scriptural. I think for me, it's an expression of being open to the Lord saying, Lord, here I am vulnerable before you, but safe before you, and I'm giving you everything I've got. 
But what about the times when you just find you're doing it automatically? It doesn't mean a thing if you do. Or what about, now we get on to the very difficult territory, what about our quiet time even? Have you ever had a quiet time where you've read your passage of a Bible? Maybe you're using Bible notes and you get through it and you realize, I haven't a clue what I've just read. It hasn't really meant a thing. I remember talking to somebody, hearing actually a clergyman speaking about their time at theological college. And he said, going to chapel was the last thing we did every morning before we woke up. And I've caught myself on occasion thinking, gosh, that quiet time I just had was the last thing in the morning I've done. Maybe it's time to wake up. When routines become routine, that should set alarm bells ringing. Saying your prayers instead of praying your prayers. Well, how, how do we make sure this isn't our autobiography? Well, change something about the habits that you have. You still need to have a quiet time. I definitely need to have a quiet time, a time of reading the scriptures and praying. But I find it helps me to change what I'm up to if I find I'm just drifting. A, a very quick remedy I've often found is to actually write down my prayers rather than just say my prayers. It helps me to focus. Writing notes on the passage that I've just read, not, not scholarly notes, not even notes that I'm going to keep, just writing down something to make sure I'm really there present in the room with the scriptures and in the presence of God and not just floating through some kind of pointless routine. But looking again at the big picture, what's also so alarming, isn't it, about the Pharisees here is where's their compassion gone? Where's the desire to help gone? And this is really what Jesus nails in his questions and his observation about the Sabbath. Incidentally, just a word of explanation in case it can be helpful. When he says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and that he is Lord of the Sabbath, I think the best illustration I've got is something like this. Living in central London, this might well have happened to you, that you're... Uh, driving along a road or you're walking along a road and all of a sudden all sorts of police cars and policemen on motorbikes swing into action and um, they stand in the middle of a road and they direct the traffic and basically they take precedence over all the traffic lights and they stop all the traffic and before you know what's happened the queen sweeps by in her car and the thing about that is the queen never stops at a red light because she never has to it's always seen to it that everyone else stops for the Queen. Uh, traffic lights were made for the Queen, not the Queen for traffic lights. She doesn't submit to traffic lights because she's the Queen. The King of Kings doesn't submit to the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for our benefit. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He has every right to do whatever he wants on the Sabbath. It's yet another claim from Jesus, another pointer to his divinity. But he nails too on this um, question of healing. He, he nails those who are trying to interrogate him with, with a question back. Is, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Hmm? And of course, not healing that man would have been evil. If it's in your power to do good, you should do good. And Jesus is saying, um, would it be right 
for me not to heal on Sabbath when I can? Or is it right to do evil? And ooh, that's quite cutting because it's really saying to them, and don't you think what you're suggesting is evil too? And are you surprised that they were silent? No, I'm not the least bit surprised. Well, the thing escalates, doesn't it, from there. And they not only want to trap him, now they want to eliminate him. And we read of an unholy alliance that is being seeded here between the Pharisees and the Herodians. And hatred must have been pretty high for that to take place because the Herodians were definitely an unclean party. Well, despite all of this opposition, none of it snuffs out the desire of people to get close to Jesus as we discover when we continue reading. Let me pick up the story from verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Verse 13. Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Well, it obviously got to a point in Jesus' ministry where the crowds were so many and so numerous were those clamouring for his attention. couldn't possibly do all this work on his own. And he goes and he prays and he calls the twelve and they come to him. And we'll just notice, we'll just notice their marching orders. They have to be with him, verse 14. To be an effective disciple, you must be with Jesus in his company. But not only must you be with him, you must go out from him. He might send them out to preach and to cast out demons. And intriguingly, he picks amongst his disciples one who he knows will go rotten. Well, here are the questions for tonight. Question number one. What habits have you built into your life that are beneficial in helping you stay connected with God? Hopefully we do have some of those and we can share them briefly with each other. And question two. Somewhere along the line, the Pharisees seemed to have lost their compassion and sympathy. They couldn't even see the kindness of Jesus. They could only see that he didn't obey their laws. It's rather alarming to discover that when surveys are done asking the public what springs to mind when they hear the word Christian, the most common answer is critical, judgmental people. It's not loving and kind people. Why do you think this is the case? 
and what can be done about it.